I'm Pastor Mark Lyle. I get to lead our men's ministry at CCC. And I'm going to read today from Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple, together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Well, good morning, church. I use that on purpose. Those of you here in the West Service, those of you in the East Service, and those who are joining online, uh, for those online, come on back. Um, It's important that you you be here, really. Um, When you feel safe and ready, please come back. Well, my name is Jim College. I'm part of the staff here, and grateful to have the privilege of presenting the message this morning. Over the last four weeks, we have been focused on the church, which is you, and I, I want to look at it from a, a theological perspective. Um, the preaching has been amazing, has taught me a lot. I hope it has you as well. But this morning is more uh, teaching than preaching. Preaching inspires, and that's what Joe and Zach do so well in, in presenting the Word of God in a, in a package that is clear and accurate, but also encourages you to take action. I hope to be clear and accurate, but I'll be more informative. Um, so you're going to have to take it and figure out how you apply it specifically. When we talk about the church, many of you have heard the term uh, Ecclesia. It's a Greek word that means gathering or sometimes used as the gathering of the chosen people. That's where we get our theological term ecclesiology, which is the study of the church. And that's what we're going to be looking at today. But there's another word in the scripture where we actually get the English word church. It's the word, Greek word, kyrikon or kyrikos. Now, it doesn't sound like it, but if you transliterate it, it comes out church. And it actually means belonging to the Lord or the Lord's. And that's what the church is. When you think of the church, sometimes uh, I know that my wife and I, Barb, will be planning uh, to go something for an activity here, and we'll say, we're going to go to the church. And what we mean by that is really an inaccurate description of a building where the church meets. Because this building, or any other building with a steeple or without a steeple, where the people of God meet, is not the church you are. You and me. We are are the church. And I'm going to try and bring that out as best I can this morning. The, the fact is, is that, that without you, without your presence, without you coming into an auditorium or to another place where there is a gathering of God's people, 
It is not sacred. This building is not sacred. Yes, it has been dedicated to God and for his purposes, but you, you are the ones who make this a sacred place. The church is that which belongs to God. In fact, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 6, these words, he says, for you were bought with a price. If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, you make up the church because you have been bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. Well, what I want to do this morning is just walk us through three points, which is typical of our rhythm here at Christ Community Chapel. And if you are used to taking notes, then I'll give you those three points. And I would encourage you this morning, even if you don't take notes, that you would jot down some of the scriptures that I'm going to refer and look at them later and, and see for yourself what the Word of God has to say about this, this wonderful thing called the church. And it is a glorious thing. I was standing here trying to sing. That's why I became a pastor, so no one would be in, in front of me to hear my voice. But I could hear yours. I could hear yours washing over there. There's something magnificent about that. It's a small thing, but it's a wonderful thing. Well, before an old man gets too reminiscent, let me give you my three points. The first is this. The church is made up of people who possess a shared experience. That's where it begins. The church is made up of people who possess a shared experience. Secondly, it is a people who practice a convictional rhythm. A convictional rhythm. And lastly, it is made up of people who have a specific identity. Okay? People who have a shared experience, a shared convictional rhythm, and a shared identity. Let's start with the first one. If you go back to what Pastor Mark read in Acts chapter 2, let me go a little bit earlier. As Peter, on this day of Pentecost, the birthday of the church, Peter is concluding his message, and there is a response to it in verse 37 of Acts chapter 2, we read this. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. In other words, the message that Peter preached was all about the gospel. It was all about Jesus. All about Jesus. From the Old Testament through to that present time, Peter is presenting Jesus as, as the Messiah, the Savior, the one who had come to redeem the world. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of, the, of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And that forgiveness toward would be better translated with a view toward the forgiveness of your sins, accomplished through faith in Jesus Christ, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourself from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized 
and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. What a transformation. 3,000 people coming under the conviction of the Holy Spirit, drawn to this relationship with Jesus through this work of God in the Holy Spirit. Remember John, in John chapter 6, I think it's verse 40, he says, you know, no one comes to me unless the Father draws him. And this morning, maybe you are sitting here and you're wondering exactly what this church thing is, and, but there's something stirring inside of you, something that is making you a little uneasy. Let me tell you what that is. That's God the Father, by the Holy Spirit, drawing you to Jesus. That's what he does. And it may be uncomfortable or it may just be incredibly a drawing, but he is doing that work. Because the church is made up of people who experience transformation through faith in Jesus Christ. It's the experience of a decision. It says, those who receive, there's a, there's a voice in the Greek text. It's the middle voice. It is the, the implication that action is implied upon the one in which the action is directed. In other words, there is this reception that is moved within us. It is stirred from, from without, and it begins to do this transformation and draws us into this relationship. There is this decision that takes place, and then there's a demonstration. This common or shared experience is shown in demonstration, and they were baptized. Baptism is a, is a wonderful example. It is, it is not the, the means of salvation. It is the means of demonstrating, of declaring your identity with the decision that you've made in Christ. We baptize by immersion. I don't, I'm not going to make a big deal. I'm not going to die on a hill about sprinkling or, or pouring. But baptism by immersion is, I think, the best way to picture that. By, by plunging someone, dying to self, being buried with Christ under the water, and then raised to new life. All of which takes place when you come face to face with Jesus and surrender to him. Those who submitted to that obligation or association, I'm sorry, let me go back for a minute. The demonstration of baptism is all about identity, commitment, and obedience. So let me just say, as followers of Jesus, if you've never been baptized, the next baptism service, be a part of that. Yes, yes, it's humbling, it can be humiliating, but that's exactly what is intended as we respond to him. The shared experience also includes, and listen to this, an obligation. We love to be free agents, don't we? We love to be able to move from place to place. Part of it, it's our, our culture and, and how we see uh, ourselves in a, in a democracy, so to speak. We, we, we like to have our voices heard. But, but you see, the church is, is not a democracy. It's a monarchy whose king is Jesus and whose authority is the word of God. 
And there comes with this relationship in the church of an obligation so that that when people place their faith in Jesus Christ, when the the scripture says there were added that day about 3,000 souls, the the implication is, is they committed to one another in an obligatory way. They said, yes, I will be a part of your life and you will be a part of mine. That's what the Bible says. So the church is, is made up of people who have a shared experience through decision, through demonstration, and then obligation. Oh, please don't lose that. Please don't lose that sense of of obligation to one another. Not in a legalistic way, but in in a desire to do so. In fact, in Romans chapter 12, Paul writes, love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. In Galatians chapter six, so then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially those who are of the household of faith. That's who we are. In here, we vary in our interest, in our leanings politically and socially, but in here, together in the body of Christ, we are joined together. Well, the scripture goes on in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, with the the shared rhythm. So we have a a shared experience of, of of becoming part of the body, then we have a shared experience in convictional rhythm, which is made up of four things. Look at it in verse 42, and they devoted. In other words, they they said these things are crucial. Listen, that's why we preach from this book. That's why we have circles. That's why we, we meet. That's where there's Bible studies, not simply so that someone has a a platform to speak, but rather to communicate what is true here in verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the first thing, to the fellowship, the second, to the breaking of bread, the third, and to the prayers. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. In other words, biblical instruction. They placed themselves under the authority of the word of God. Again, not under a particular cable news channel, not under a political system, but under the authority of the word of God. They paid attention to it, not only when they met together on the first day of the week, but they did so on a daily basis. How's your time? How's your time in the morning or in the afternoon or in the evening? Whenever it is, you put yourself under this beautiful thing called scripture because you're part of the church. Are you devoted to it? Are you devoted to the biblical instruction? This whole concept of of the, the rhythm of proclaiming the word of God every week and then your own rhythm of time in the word of God. It's who you are. It's what you are. Jesus told the Jewish leaders, some of which had come to faith, and they had asked him questions about what they were supposed to do. And he says, you need to abide in my word. You need to immerse yourself in my word. And by it, you will become my disciples. 
Listen, I'm not interested in joining a particular club or political party. What I'm interested in is being a disciple of Jesus. I think you are too. That's why the devotion this. They devoted themselves to this rhythm of biblical instruction because it, it promises those things in the present life as well as the eternal. It ensures salvation. It equips for good. It gives clarity and purpose for our life. Then there's the rhythm of community. Biblical instruction and then community. And they committed themselves or devoted themselves to the fellowship. Fellowship is crucial. It is, it is sharing and mutual dependence and responsibility. Yes, it is obligatory, yes. So you see the body of Christ, the church, in all its, its facets, upholds the community and the individuals in it, but it also disciplines that same community. It corrects, not for the sake of, of discouraging or condemning, but for restoring. Listen, I've been at this for over 40 years, and so often when I have to confront someone, and I feel it when I'm confronted, and I have been, it's like, what right do you have? Oh, my friends, the church has every right to confront and to discipline. Again, not to condemn, not to harm, but to, to restore, to bring back into relationship, in right relationship that can be enjoyed and all the benefits that are part of that. Biblical fellowship finds its basis in the finished work of Jesus. The Bible oftentimes speaks about the body as a, a picture of what the church is, and in fact it is. In, in Galatians chapter 3 it says, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is ne nor, no male or female, for we were all one in Christ Jesus. Or 1 Corinthians chapter 12, for just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or great, Greeks, slaves or free, all were made to drink of one spirit, for the body does not consist of one member but of many. As I get older, parts of my body don't work and I, I have to compensate for those that don't work. The body does the same thing because we are one. Sometimes you compensate for me. Other times I compensate for you. I carry you along. The writer of Hebrews talks about that, helping the, the knees that are feeble and weak. It's community. It's together. And there's the shared rhythm of worship. It says the breaking of the bread. That phrase, breaking, that word breaking is only used of, of the breaking of the bread or the loaf. Every time we read it in the Gospels or in 1 Corinthians 11, that has to do with, the, uh, with communion, which I believe is the highest form of worship that we can enter into because it's both individual and corporate. At the end of this service, we'll share together for those who know Jesus as Savior, we'll take a small piece of bread, we'll take a cup, and we will, we will remember, we will declare, we will proclaim. Isn't that what worship is about? 
And we expand it with our singing. We expand it with our preaching. We expand it with our our greeting of one another, with our prayers. We do so in declaration and proclamation and identity. That's why I think when when Luke, as he writes in the book of Acts, is speaking when he says the breaking of bread is not about taking meals together. That's addressed later on in this passage. He's talking about worship. Focus on Jesus Christ. That's what the church does. It focuses on Jesus. It centers itself on Jesus. That rhythm of worship through the breaking of bread accomplishes two things. First, worship and then declaration. This is who I belong to. And then there's the rhythm of prayer. I think this prayer, they were more liturgical. We pray in different ways. Pastor Joe prayed for us. Jordan prayed for us. There are times where you pray quietly. I think in the early church, they were probably playing, praying psalms. Maybe the Hallel, maybe, maybe the Psalms of Ascension, maybe others. I think there was some measure of liturgy in that. And there's nothing wrong with that but there's nothing wrong with free prayer, but they devoted themselves of of petitioning God, not in a monologue, but in a dialogue with their Bibles, whatever they had available, the letters of the apostles, the gospels of praying back to God what is in his book. They devoted themselves to that. There is this shared convictional rhythm. And then lastly, there is a shared identity. And this identity is intensely communal. Let me take you to 1 Peter chapter 2. In 1 Peter chapter 2, let me read first verse 5, and I'm going to skip down to verse 9. Not that the other passages aren't important, but in verse 5, we read these words. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. What he is saying, what Peter is saying here to the church in Rome is that you are mutually dependent upon one another. He speaks about the building of something like a wall where stones are placed uniquely in order to support the others. You see, you have a specific place in this body. You, you have that place. You are important to what makes the church. And as a stone, you're slipped in and sometimes you're built upon one, someone is built upon you. It is is this remarkable construction of God with Jesus as the cornerstone and we're all built specifically from him. Listen, you may think you're at a point and after four decades of ministry, I think I'm just a stone that there's a bunch of more stones on top. That's great. It's exactly where I need to be. You may be yet to come to Christ, but when you do, you are going to be placed in this wonderful thing called the church. And the church can't be the church without you and without me.
we cannot really realize our identity without one another. C.S. Lewis wrote in his book, The Four Loves, about friendship. And he wrote these words, if you'll, uh, you'll in, allow me for a moment. He said, in each of my friends, this is Lewis writing, in each of my friends there is something that only some other friend can fully bring out. By myself, I, I am not large enough to call out the whole man into activity. I want other lights than my own to show all the facets. Now that Charles is dead, Charles was Charles Williams, a poet and theologian, member of the Inklings with Tolkien and Lewis. He says, I shall never again see Ronald's reaction to a specifically Caroline joke. Ronald is J.R.R. Tolkien. I shall never again see Ronald's reaction. Far from having more of Ronald, having him to myself, now that Charles is away, I have less of Ronald. Hence, true friendship is the least jealous of the loves. True friends delight to be joined by a third and, a th and three by a fourth. You see, the church is just like that. We are not fully realized unless we have one another. You bring texture and dimension to the body of Christ. You are crucial to this. You engage yourself. You bring all that you have, all that God has given you, every gift, every ability. Years ago, we began to talk about our staff here, and we said we do not do ministry based upon position, but on giftedness. It was one of the wisest things we ever did. You see, you can hold an office, you can hold a position, but it is crucial that as the church, we bring our gifts, our abilities, and we, we exercise them in the body of Christ. This incredible identity gives us an intentional purpose. You see, we are, it says later in verse Nine, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You are a chosen people. That means you, as a body of Christ, you are loved by God and brought, you are brought to himself by his gracious initiative. You are a royal priesthood. We are our identity as worshipers, that's what priests do. You are that. You bring this all into a location, whether here or somewhere across the world, in, in worship and adoration. You are a holy nation. You are set apart. You are an instrument in God's hands to be used by him and by his, 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 not yours, not mine, not Joe's, not anyone else's, but by his definition. You are people belonging to God. He owns me. He owns you. And we are to be careful. Let me speak to leadership here for a moment, including myself. Paul addresses the elders at Ephesus and he says, you shepherd the flock and you be careful. Listen, the church, you, 
you are a precious thing. You are a sacred thing. You are to be protected. You are to be loved. You are to be disciplined at times, corrected. But those who hold the mantle of leadership, understand this. Even when it's not understood by others, give yourself to it. Deacons, elders, pastors. Because someday, one of my favorite verses, Hebrews 13, 17, I will stand accountable for those under my care. And there's nothing I love more than the church of God. Nothing. So then, set aside the things he would say later in verse 11. Set aside the things that don't bring benefit but only bring harm. But rather keep your conduct honorable. Embrace and protect integrity so that they may see you. So it's observable. Not that you can be awarded but rather it results in glorifying God on the day of visitation. Whether that's present or eschatological, I don't know. And quite frankly, I'm not sure I care. All I know is the church is this this incredible advertisement for God and his love and grace poured out for you. You are the church. You have a shared you have a shared experience if you know Jesus as Savior. You, have a, you are to be part of a shared convictional rhythm. You, are, you, are, you have a shared identity. We are part of the body of Christ. So, let's show him to the world. Not because it's a strategy or even, though, even a vision, though ours, I believe, is a very good one but rather because this is what we as the church have been called to. I love you, church, and I will never stop. No matter how ugly you may become, no matter how beautiful you are, but my love pales. It becomes refuge when compared to the love of God through Jesus Christ. Father in heaven, thank you. Thank you so much for this precious thing called the church. She is your bride. She is your glory. And God, I pray that each of us, both together and separate, will reflect what it means to be your church. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.